0: Welcome to Episode 6 in the fourth season of Justice with John Carpe, the podcast from the Justice Center for Constitutional Freedoms. I'm the show's producer, Kevin Steele, and with me today is Chris Barber, a trucker from Swift Current, Saskatchewan. Mr. Barber was one of the key organizers of last year's Freedom Convoy. Many in our audience will be familiar with Mr. Barber, though I would guess that many of us became more aware of his background and story when he testified last November at the Public Order Emergency Commission hearing in Ottawa. He was one of the first witnesses from what I would call the non-government side of things, in other words, in support of the convoy and its aims. As I reviewed Mr. Barber's testimony to prepare for this discussion, I became more appreciative of the pivotal role he played at that hearing, expressing the concerns of average Canadians who were fed up with the ever-increasing unprecedented government overreach during the COVID lockdowns. He was well-spoken, reasonable, and down-to-earth. And up until he took the stand, the hearings in the national media were fixated on telling us how terrible these protesters were, and they were trying to come to grips with why more wasn't done to stop them sooner. He changed that. First of all, Mr. Barber, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Kevin. I have to ask, a year on from the convoy, and a few months after your turn in the hot seat at the hearings, has life returned to normal, or a new normal, or something like that?
1: (laughs) It is most definitely a new normal. I I think my wife would really like to go back to the old way things were, when it was a lot less calm, (laughs) or a lot calmer, I guess. Um, It's a different life now, for sure. Lots of running. It seems like uh, I spend right. a lot of the time, I'm very busy with it, with trying to keep up on messages, emails, uh, and phone calls on a regular basis. But
0: Well, maybe there was a question I wanted to get to uh, kind of concerning your uh, testimony, and it's about the new normal or the normal. Uh, one of the things that came up in your time on the stand was the fact that you had hardship during the pandemic. So I wanted to ask you, has the business come back you know you talked about losing drivers during the pandemic have you have you recovered somewhat uh
1: somewhat it's still tough because the the border restrictions are on in the u.s right now so we we've lost a lot of drivers a lot of good experienced drivers that basically had enough of the of the restrictions and the uh, the regulations in the trucking industry are some of the toughest in the across the country uh amongst with airliners so a lot of guys have just gotten tired of it and uh, moved on to different things and found it just walked away from it. And the pandemic and the border restrictions were something that really pushed that, made people decide that they, was, they were done with it. So there's not enough experience out there anymore like there once was.
0: Oh, okay. So that's no doubt impacting our inflation as well. Happily, though, uh, you have your, your bank accounts again, though, I hope. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the when when the bank account freeze came on, we lost our corporate accounts, and uh, well, every bank account that was in my name we lost for approximately four days. However, my personal bank account was remain it was remained frozen for up to three and a half months. It wasn't until May when I got the the personal bank account back.
0: That was TD Bank. I remember that uh, because uh, I was, a lot yeah. of people were. Speaking ill of the bank because of that, (laughs) did you ever get an explanation? You hadn't by the – when you testified.
1: No, I still haven't got an explanation from Toronto Dominion. Uh, A lot of phone calls, a lot of emails, and all were unanswered to this day. Very, very unprofessional on their part.
0: Yeah, one of the things that did come up with other people when uh, they were talking about this at the commission was that there were potential long-term effects – Uh, on people's finances because of the uh, freezing of the accounts i think at one point even a banker went so far as to say these people will be marked for life have you had any sort of long-term repercussions to this day
1: i absolutely have yes i've been denied credit in the last uh, 12 months Um, another thing i'd like to point out is freedom corp which was the is the entity of the the convoy has been in, impossible to get a bank account for the last twelve months. Uh, no banking institution in Canada will touch us. We have been red flagged by the government, and uh, and we've struggled with that forever. So it's really really hard to defend yourself in court with some of these uh, these lawsuits that are facing us right now. When we have no crowdfunding, no bank account, no way to uh, to move forward with that. So. Definitely, what freedoms have you lost in this country, right? That's a common question that we get asked by people on the on the other side of the fence.
0: And uh, I, I always say, where do I start? Well, oh, yeah, I see that, too, on Twitter quite a bit. Oh, yeah, I'm perfectly free. I mean, what are you guys complaining about? They're happy in their 15-minute city. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. And uh, healthcare care uh, being uh, tied to uh, digital IDs, I'm sure these are issues you're following.
1: Yeah, I find it ironic that Trudeau would uh, limit the amount of health care the provinces are are able to access in order to put them in a compromising position to try and push forward this digital idea. I mean what that that's we could have all seen this coming and uh, here it is, right? Thankfully we have Daniel Smith and Scott Moe that are, are willing to step up to the plate. Hopefully it's not just for a PR stunt.
0: Yeah. I hope. Yeah, because uh, yeah, for me, <clears throat> I'll just say uh it seems like a deal breaker to me, but you know, the, you're know, you basically staying up on the issues, but you're not too active right now. Uh, one thing that you had uh, mentioned off uh, microphone was that uh, you're facing a lot of activity this year, but it's all legal activity. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that?
1: Well, as, as everybody's probably well aware, Tamara Litch and I are charged with six indictable offenses, uh, mischief, um, intimidation of a police officer, and uh, uh, going against a court order, all with uh, counseling charges on top of it. So six indictable offenses, two to ten years is what the Crown Prosecutor is seeking in our, in, in, if in, if convicted, um, as well as that, the, the, the charges are uh, to be tried in September 5th of 2023 this month, this year. In Ottawa, uh, we both have to fly back out there. It's about a three-week trial, from what I understand. Uh, we have uh, a particulars motion next week where we have to attend via Zoom in uh, in Ottawa. The Crown Prosecutor still hasn't really labeled what we're charged or why we're charged with. So lawyers have now uh, filed this motion for particulars. March will be an interesting month, March 23rd, 24th. Uh, we have a charter challenge launched against the Crown Prosecutor uh, for releasing... 4,220 pages of my cell phone evidence, um, including uh, personal conversations with my wife, my ex-wife, my children, my business customers, uh, conversations that, that had nothing to do with last year's activities, as well as private conversations between my lawyer, uh, lawyers, Keith Wilson and Eva Chipiak. Uh, so client solicitor privilege has been 100% breached there. And uh, we filed a charter application against the Crown, and he will now have to answer... For, for his actions, I guess, next month. So I'm really curious to see how that sh- lawyers have filed for a stay of prosecution. If it goes that way, um, I think somebody needs to at least be accountable for this or to answer to why they acted in such a, a vindictive, horrible way.
0: When you say released, you meant publicly released?
1: Yeah, they did it on a Friday afternoon. Yeah, they broke into my cell phone. So they, they confiscated my cell phone as evidence when I was arrested February 17th. Last year, uh, they got a court order to break into that cell phone. They uh, they then downloaded all the information off of it, released it to the courts on a Friday afternoon. It was kind of funny that Glenn McGregor with CTV News was able to obtain a copy of it fairly fast, um, and then had the weekend to look through it before criminal lawyer Diane Magus was in court on the Monday to put a to put a, a closure on it, a cease and desist, I guess, is what it was. Uh, she was successful on that on Monday, but. Everybody still had access to it, and uh, people read through a lot of the stuff in it, I guess. um, Realized that that we were in conversation with some pretty influential people across the country. One was Brad Wall, Premier Brad Wall of Saskatchewan, one of the best premiers, I believe, in Canadian history. Day-to-day contact with him, and good contact, good questions. He gave me advice and made sure we were doing things right, and uh, if anything, that should have legitified us instead of, you know, the media picking it apart, making it look like it was a bad thing.
0: Yeah, well, that was kind of the, uh, I guess, the whole approach to the uh, the government's case during the Public Order Emergency Commission as well. I mean, they were basically trying to paint this as a dangerous affair. And that's why I thought, since, you know, you were the first guy up there on the side of the convoy, you did a pretty fair job of diffusing a lot of that. And considering what came afterwards you you know you could uh say that you know you kind of set the tone for the defense and uh i guess that was greatly appreciated by me though more so in retrospect now because of course at the time i didn't know what was coming next maybe you could just tell us a little bit about that uh, time on the stand did uh, anything surprise you uh
1: yeah surprises uh yeah most definitely um Flying out to Ottawa, I was I was going to take part in it. I thought my testimony would come after a few of the other key organizers, and to my surprise, at the last minute, I realized that I was one of the first. Peter Slowly was on, um, uh, police chief Peter Slowly, and then the Tuesday morning was started off with none, 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 no, no, only Chris Barber. So nervous, to say the least, didn't sleep a wink uh, the night before. But I found once I got settled into the seat on the on the stand there. I thought they were fair questions. I thought I was able to get the truth out. Uh, we all got to tell our truths, which was something that, that we'd longed to do, I guess. For twelve months we've had or ten months we've had the media running the show, spreading the misinformation. Uh, like the you know, the government propaganda wing. And they were successful at it. There's a number of Canadians that, that think things were, were what they weren't. Uh, we were able to speak our truth. We got our story out. Justice Rouleau, I felt was very very favorable you know, to us. He was interested in our story. He asked questions, which was some, something that he, he didn't do with all the, the people. Uh, Tamara and I, he was quite interested in. So I, I spoke with him a couple times, and after I was done with the stand, I thanked him for what he was doing. I hope that his ruling in the next couple weeks is a fair ruling. I hope he looks at all the evidence. I think it was quite clear that the government was in the wrong there. The government could have fixed this very fast, instead of going the route that they did, unfortunately. Um, It wasn't like we were there, unwilling to speak to anyone. That was our goal from the start, was to speak to somebody.
0: Yeah, you did make that clear in your testimony, that's for sure. So when you say they could have fixed it this fast, you aren't talking about necessarily dropping all the mandates. You're talking about meeting with the protesters, I assume. That's what you're referring to.
1: Yeah, meeting with the protesters, trying to... uh, to have a some sort of a dialogue and resolve a few issues that needed to be resolved. Did you hear the dog barking? That's the famous Zippy. Somebody's obviously driving by the yard right now so the security system went off.
0: So he's having a dialogue with the uh Yeah, he's uh, with the system. Okay, no problem.
1: <laughs> it's all nice and good out here in the country until somebody drives by which that doesn't happen a lot so <laughs> my wife okay. just went running by to grab him and quiet him up.
0: <laughs> no problem.
1: I felt Justice Reload was very fair. I, I felt I had a really good feeling listening to him and watching his interactions with Tamara and I and asking questions after our testimony. He had a few very good questions. So I look forward to his results in the next couple of weeks here. I believe the February 20th will be when when he comes down with his commission report. So all I, I hope for the best. It'll definitely you know, a good ruling from Justice Rouleau will help us with our civil action, it'll help us with our criminal action, and uh, and down the road, like, we've got the three major protests, you know, Coots and Windsor, as well as Ottawa, that all hang in the balance here, even though all three of them were not, you know, connected to each other, they were all individual movements, so let's hope for the best.
0: Yeah, actually, I didn't consider your position regarding all the legal cases uh, when I thought to myself that, well, we've already won this thing, so I don't really care about the ruling. (laughs) I guess I must admit that I'm partisan and I don't have a lot at stake as you do. So, yeah, I can see why you definitely uh, are hoping for a decent ruling. Uh, There seem to be, I guess, some cracks during the uh, testimony following you. You know, I'm I'm thinking – in particular, I guess, about the last day when uh, Eva Chippia went after Trudeau and his slandering of the uh, unvaccinated. So, you know, that seemed to, I guess, catch a lot of people off guard, and uh, it was used for uh, quite a while on social media. So, was there anything that surprised you during the testimony, either prior to your own or after your own? Some, some highlights.
1: Well, one of the One of the common things I get asked on a regular basis was uh, Brendan Miller uh, was an excellent lawyer throughout the entire uh, inquiry. And then at the last minute, Eva Chibiak replaced him. And and a lot of people ask the questions, you know, what happened with Brendan? What was the strategy there? And it was simple. You know, Trudeau was prepped on the fact that Brendan Miller was going to be, you know, uh, interviewing him. And so to throw him off of his base, I guess... This, to put it mildly, introduce a female like Eva Chipia. She did an amazing job. She was up there with integrity. She asked some really good questions. She knew uh, getting Trudeau to speak on the stand, he wasn't going to answer the questions. She knew that, and everyone knew that. So what she did was then was she, made, you know, she turned it into an information session where where they were able to ask questions to simply make Justin look as. And you know, like he did, he didn't care about the answers to this, and, and they, they fired him back and forth quite well, I believe.
0: Okay. So that, I guess you appreciate that. How about the other ministers? Did they surprise you? Or even the CSIS testimony, the fact that you had the all these uh, high mucky mucks uh, examining your behavior from the uh, high <laughs> echelons of the government into the uh, intelligence services?
1: Well, one of the one of the really good things that was pointed out multiple times was that no point during the protest was it deemed illegal. They asked every single person that and it came back every single time. The protest was never found illegal. So uh it still makes you question when you're listening to C B C and C T V when they when they tend to call it an an illegal occupation which there was never a judge that ruled it was illegal to begin with. So how can they get away with spreading much the, the informa- misinformation?
0: How can they get away with it? Well, I suppose we could probably talk about that for a long time, you and I, but I guess we'd probably just agree <laughs> with each other. So Exactly. On that line, I, I just wanted to read a headline here from the Toronto Star, January 20th of this year. Uh, this is uh, looking back a year after the convoy. The headline says, quote, Divided arguing and adrift what's left of the freedom convoy one year later so uh what's left are you arguing divided and adrift
1: yeah most definitely there's a few people that uh, that were within the inner workings of the convoy that have let's say it politely found a different path um mm-hmm. some of the things that, that that have transpired in the last 12 months have been something that nobody could control um I would care to say a little bit of ego involved with it, a little bit of uh, fame and notoriety, uh, uh, and it just personalities that eventually clash. But the one thing that, that is true to this day, Tamara and I are very much in contact through the lawyers, of course, I have to say that, through the lawyers. Uh, we've mm-hmm. got conditions against speaking to each other, so uh, our, our focus remains moving forward with this. Uh, when the money that's been tied in escrow for the last you know, 10 months will be released to the truckers as it should be. It will then go to the, 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 people that it was meant for, the truckers on the ground. Then remaining money after that will be invested. And what's left when, when the interest comes in, that goes to veterans societies across the country. We still have a big commitment to veterans, making sure they're well looked after. Right now we're fighting those battles legally. Um, like I said, I wish I could do whatever I could do to try and fix the divide and some of the key players there, but the divides happened and, uh, it's, it's happened at the hands of, of, of themselves, I guess, to say it politely can't do much about that. Otherwise just sit back. and.
0: Well, I mean the freedom convoy of course is over, I guess, you know, the, the, the main event, uh, I would argue that it would be tough to, uh, replicate, you know, because of the way it happened, very spontaneously, and I think you made that pretty clear. Impossible. Yeah, you made that pretty clear in your uh, testimony as well. One of the things that I guess wasn't apparent at the time, sort of became apparent as we got into the hearing and then after the hearing, was how much influence, positive influence, the convoy had on the rest of the world. I didn't realize um, mm-hmm. how positive it was, I guess, until shortly after the uh, the poke had concluded, and then everybody was talking about uh, you know how this had inspired everybody. Perhaps you could comment on that. Was that ever apparent to you?
1: Uh, it was such a busy time that it was hard to to pay attention to world headlines. We were so busy trying to manage ourselves, but it was. When you seen the, the, the things going on across the country, Australia had uh, their own convoys, of Britain. Oh, there were so many places. United States tagged in. It was something that sparked change, or at least woke a, a few people up across the country, across the world. Uh, Christine Anderson, the European Member of Parliament, is coming, uh, I believe, next weekend, the 18th of February, to Calgary. She's going to do a little bit of a cross-country tour, across canada and just say hi and and we've been invited to go meet her in calgary so we'll be there next weekend i can't wait it'll be super exciting she's somebody that stood up to trudeau on the world stage and called him for what he was and it was amazing we needed that we needed somebody in a high-ranking position that was willing to actually stand up and say hey this is wrong and you need to be called on it
0: yes I was uh, surprised to see that she was coming to Canada as well. But of course, yeah, she was one of the early supporters of the convoy. I think she spoke out quite quite uh, soon after uh, the event and uh, has been critical of Trudeau ever since. So, of course, she's also doing work on the pandemic as well. So kind of a high profile uh, person. And you say you're meeting her next week. That's great.
1: It's one of going to be a highlight. I can't wait for Tamara and I will both be there in Calgary in the evening event uh with the lawyers of course. It'll be uh I have to make sure I put that in. <laughs> yes. That's just what freedoms have you lost, right?
0: <laughs> That's right, yeah. I got to have my lawyers until everywhere I go. Maybe this is a good point to <laughs> to plug uh donations uh to groups like the JCCF and others that uh support uh, people that are Facing uh, government persecution uh, because of the costs, uh, the, the people talk about the process being the punishment because of the cost. That's where uh, you know organizations uh, like the JCCF come in.
1: I have to, yeah, I have to get get the, the words in there in support for John Carpe what he's doing with the Justice Center. Um, it was early into the activities when uh, John offered help and flew uh, five lawyers out. To help us, to advise us, to make sure that we were doing things properly. Um, out of those five, two of the main lawyers stayed, Keith Wilson and Eva Chipiak, and they stayed under the, under the direction of John Carpe and the Justice Center, and they continue to be there for us as of today. A lot of people don't realize that, that the Justice Center is funding 50 to 60 different truckers with charges on them right now in, in the Ottawa and the protests as well as other people across the country. You've got people out there like uh, Mark Friesen. He's been fighting this for quite some time, and he is in court off and on. I believe Arthur Poloski is another one of them. Um, John's been an instrumental part in, in in helping a lot of this stuff, so people need to keep that in mind when they're donating. The Justice Centre has been one of the, f- the biggest contributions to this movement in respect to helping it. There's 130,000 lawyers across Canada. And I know five of them that stood up.
0: Yeah. Uh, another thing I just wanted to run by you here in terms of uh, one year later, this was a headline, I think Rebel News ran this headline, a poll about the from Angus Reid that says that 51% of Canadi- Canadians believe the Freedom Convoy was a threat to national security. So according to Angus Reid, you're a pretty dangerous guy still. So. <laughs>
1: Well, if anybody including Angus Reid would have watched the POC inquiry there, they would have soon realized that there was no threat, absolutely no threat. Uh, unless bouncy castles were a threat, unless uh, you know, the love and the hugs and the tears and the stories and the well wishes, um there was absolutely no threat. If anybody learned anything or grew anything more from the from Ottawa's experience, it would have been myself personally uh, prior to um, a lot of anger and a lot of misdirection and anger and where the country was headed. And then I found a, a, a voice or a, an avenue to push that anger into a positive way. And I think I've, I've proven that in the last 12 months with, with a change in direction of my attitude. And, you know, I watched a lot of cool stuff. I watched, uh, you know, you little kids get excited for a semi coming down the road again and, uh, do that, that. You know, your fist pump, and then you give the kid yeah, a blast of yeah. the horn, and then you see the smile. I don't know how many how many families I've just about made the parents fly out the front windshield because the kids in the back seat were passing me doing the Hong Kong, and, and I let the horns go, and scared <laughs> to live in daylight, so do the parents driving, but <laughs> it's something that I laugh at to this so day. So have you
0: learned not to do that? <laughs>
1: nope. Oh, no, nope. that's great. Do it proudly.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, that's... Uh uh, that even from my childhood that goes way back right and uh, of course the uh CB radio as well i just want to remark on the name of your trucking company CB trucking of course as soon as i saw that i thought yeah. citizens band radio so um <laughs> obviously it's chris barber well. but um <laughs> Yeah,
1: it was it was a quick transition. I was a lease operator with a, with a long haul company and my my uh, sole proprietorship company was named Chris Barber Trucking just cuz it was easy. And uh, and then things went fast as that company kind of ran into some financial troubles. I needed to get going on my own company ASAP. So, Incorporated CB Trucking and that's how the name stuck. So, it's kind of I run a small company. Uh, we run four trucks. Canada, U.S., uh, we just do agriculture hauling within the provinces, and we're quite busy at it. I'm very, very fortunate to have the business I do. I've got a really, really good list of customers and an awesome list of drivers that help me out on a regular basis. So,
0: Well, along that lines, I guess this is a, a good time to just push this question in here. Did you use CB radios on the convoy?
1: We sure did, yes. There was actually an app, a cell phone app called Zello, and that was broadcasting our CB radio communications all the way across the country. And I didn't know that until uh, I a couple phone calls from different people saying, hey, I just heard you on the, on the app. So we used two forms of communication, which was uh, an FM a radio we call a, a VHF radio, uh, which is a longer frequency, to get a little bit longer range out of it. And then the iconic CB radio was there. So we were back and forth on each set of mics the entire ways. It was quite the ordeal. Uh, monitoring your speeds you you realize that there's at some points there was 25 miles of traffic behind myself so we had pilot trucks we had escort vehicles but maintaining the speeds uh, when the gap started to form in between the lines we had to try and tighten that up a little bit especially coming into communities where you wanted to show a good a good uh, visual to the people sitting on the side of the road. So you tighten your lines up so everything was right, nice and tight. There was a lot of work, a lot of uh, back and forth on the radio.
0: And I'm glad to hear that it was CB radio that was involved there simply because it goes back to my childhood, of course. But uh, I did hear that Zello as well. I did hear some of the, I didn't realize you guys were using CBs at the time. So it was a, uh, it was quite popular to listen to listen into the uh, logistics going on and sort of being relayed from, place to place as well, you know, that's uh, that's a fond memory for me. Just to take it back a second there, you know, you had talked about, you know, your personal growth, this, and you did mention this on the stand as well at the, at the Polk hearing, uh, you call the Freedom Convoy experience life-changing. Uh, how does this seem a year on? Uh, is still, say, it's as profound or has it increased or diminished
1: no, uh, no increased, uh, that, that momentum was carried forward, especially with the way I conduct myself on social media. Now I'd have to say, um, you know, friends and family have definitely noticed a, a big change in it.
0: Mm. Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: it's a positive growth and it's something that, that I believe needed to happen. So looking back at it now, it was a definitely a good thing and there's nothing bad that can come from that. So,
0: Right. Yeah. I'd, uh, I had noted that in your testimony you had a kind of a laugh at yourself when you described that you were an internet troll. And uh, I was going to ask you if you're trolling uh, still. I guess that's probably shifted a little bit?
1: No, I should probably explain myself there. I've always been that guy on social media that if somebody comes at me that I come back at them, I've I've, uh, shifted that a little bit. I've turned it more to I get attacked a lot on social media. Uh, To this day, I could look at my social media posts and see – Very rude, vulgar, horrible comments, some, you know, wishing death upon me. And so now I take those comments with a grain of salt, I turn them on the person that say them, and I put a positive note on it. Um, I think it was just today I started, I labeled the new woke um, leftist society as Muppets. Uh, And they they don't seem to like that terminology yet, but I'm going to keep pushing it on them because some of the stuff they keep saying to me is just absolutely horrendous. Uh, and I don't it is—it's online banter. Usually, <laughs> I, I remember them being funny, and I think that's yeah. what half these people are doing with their lives—is just being funny. So that was one of my shows that I enjoyed thoroughly as a child, too—the Muppets on Sunday evenings on CBC Television. Oh,
0: here, here, yes, and my whole family did. Yeah, but you're calling these people Muppets now, so I, to me, it doesn't sound like a, a heavy attack, at any rate. Certainly not a death threat <laughs> gotta keep it simple
1: <laughs> well how else do you how else do you counter that one Kevin? They, they don't get much lower than than uh, than acting like that so I'll take it with a grain mm-hmm. of salt to laugh it off. Um, obviously these people out there wouldn't say it to my face they they like their little following on their social media and, and let them spew the hate. I've finding a lot lately that the people that are accusing somebody else of being hateful are actually extremely hateful themselves so.
0: Oh yeah, that's uh seems to be par for the course that the uh the one side accuses the other of uh what they are actually doing. I think it's uh, known as an Alinskyist tactic. I have gotta ask you about social media. Did you uh did you get on Twitter? You talked about being on TikTok on the stand. I didn't realize you were a TikTok dancer, but uh I did learn then. So
1: <laughs> there's there's different aspects of TikTok. There's uh you know, uh, a year ago, my son had gave me trouble for this. He said, "Dad, I used to have uh, I used to have uh, dancing girls and, and different activities on my TikTok, and then thanks to you, now it's all trucks." So I kind of <laughs> giggled. There's different sides of TikTok. There's, <laughs> you know, the okay. teenager mentality. Um, yeah, I I've, I'm ki- I'm kind of prone to TikTok. I like my mm-hmm. TikTok account. I like the banter that I could do back and forth. Twitter, I'm on Twitter i don't have a big following on twitter but in twitter kind of it's a little intimidating to me i'm uh, i'm not as well worded on a keyboard as what i would be when it comes to videos so i play on twitter i mess with them a little bit and then they kind of get off of it i don't monitor as much as i should but
0: right yeah i uh i'm not a big social media guy myself and uh so I I haven't gone back to Twitter yet but I was asking simply because of the changes that have come uh, since the purchase by Elon Musk uh, it doesn't look completely free oh. yet but uh, there seems to be some positive developments in the social media universe recently so so you're on TikTok definitely learning quite a
1: bit of stuff hmm? yep, oh, yeah Facebook Twitter we 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 learned a lot of stuff from when Elon Musk started releasing some of the uh, the findings and some of the stuff that's been hidden for the last 3 years right so Right, This big conspiracy world that everybody, the tinfoil hat wearing community is all of a sudden right on certain aspects. And and it's funny how the media keeps covering that up, right?
0: Right. Correct me if I'm wrong, but we haven't learned a lot about Canada yet. Uh, I'm looking forward to that. I don't know uh, whether you felt you experienced any sort of suppression on social media. Did you?
1: Oh, absolutely! I'm suppressed on social media on a daily basis. I lose, uh, I lose some of the politest videos I think I could possibly put out to community guidelines. Guidelines for bullying and harassment, um, and I appeal it, and I seem like I. It makes me question it. Um, I've lost Facebook accounts over the last number of years for uh, community guidelines too. You get too many of them, and they remove you off social media. So I have definitely seen a lot of censorship on social media uh, as well as a lot of other people. I do, I don't mess around on YouTube very much, which is something I might have to look into here.
0: Any evidence of Canadian government involvement, like the discovery down in the States? <laughs> there has that? to be, no?
1: there has to be with yeah. some of the stuff. Is, yeah, there has to be, there's gotta be stuff there. I can't wait for Elon to release all that and get it right out in the open. I'm sure there's, there's quite a bit, you know, the Trudeau's, you know, spoke with the, with the, with the, the Facebook, especially in uh, censorship issues and trying to shut down the misinformation, seems like it comes a lot from his own back pocket as it does somebody else. But we'll see. It's interesting oh, yeah. times we're living in for sure, right?
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, like I say, I'm looking forward to Canada being exposed. Uh, I'm really curious as to see what's been going on here because we haven't heard a lot about it. But I'm just because of people like yourself that have expressed uh, concern about being suppressed. Like you say, there's got to be something going on. So that's, that's something to look forward to. That's for sure. Well, you expressed some hope in that there's going to be a good ruling out of Justice Rouleau and his commission. If there isn't, do you see that as being, uh, I guess, a negative for the country? Or, you know, I mean, I obviously, you're, you've got a personal stake in this. So, but uh, the rest of the country, people like myself who've kind of you know, given up on the whole thing. How how would you view it?
1: I can see it being a stain on the country if it comes back that he was completely justified. Uh, I think a lot of people are on the fence right now. I think, uh, you know, in in reserve judgment until after the 20th. And there will be some major outcry in this country when you look at some of the injustice that was done to a peaceful protest. You know, you had the goons and and there's Full 100% respect for law enforcement across this entire country. And I personally dealt with law enforcement each and every single day and had awesome experiences every day, open discussions. If anything was an issue, we always worked through it. And then the goons showed up. And what those goons did was horrible. The people that were injured, the people were hurt, reporters that were hurt, um, you know, you heard reports of people being seriously injured. That has to be answered for. Somebody has to be held accountable for for the negative actions that, that didn't need to happen. If a if a conversation would have ensued, we could have prevented all that. So I'm hoping Justice Rulo pans down a harsh judgment against the government for their actions. Will anything happen as a result of that? I'm not sure, but at least it'll be out there that people can actually just refer to that as a win or such of a win. Um, and then we can move on past that. Another thing that could happen here in the next little while is a citizens inquiry has been being talked about quietly behind the scenes. And that involves some pretty famous people also. So if we can do this as a citizens inquiry, public citizens inquiry, that'd be another way to get the true side of the story out. So I look forward to that. I look forward to taking part of that. I've already made myself readily available to be a part of that as well as Miss Leach, too, and other f- board members for Freedom Corp. So bring it on. I can't wait. That would be another good way to get the, the true story out and keep the positivity going.
0: I guess the, uh, the inevitable question would be, you know, when you started this thing, did you ever see it becoming a public order emergency? <laughs> I mean, I, it seems to me uh, nobody really saw that coming.
1: No, it kind of resembles a, a, a toddler having a tantrum, doesn't it?
0: It did to me, yeah. But I was I was getting good vibes off the thing, you know. I mean, obviously there were people in Ottawa that to this day see themselves as heroes in counteracting the movement. Uh, I'm referring, of course, to that plaque that was set up in Ottawa that came down about the Battle of Billings Bridge or something like this. I don't know whether you saw that. They had blocked a bunch of truckers.
1: Yeah, I, I remember that day when it happened. So. That was uh that was a quite the ignorant part of the day it was uh counter protesters actually were quite disgusting in their behavior I guess so that that's kind of surprising that the city of ottawa that that would then reward them for such horrible activities. <laughs> I remember dealing with that I remember the guys being stuck on the bridge yeah it
0: was a private thing I understand but I- Correct me if I'm wrong. My memory of that protest, there were people, or at least one person, walking around with a sign that said "Gas the unvaxed," and uh, to me, that's not something that uh, I would deem particularly heroic. Yet, for some reason, uh, the people in Ottawa seem to be behind it. But <laughs> you know what? I, there I am being. Divisive. You know what I find funny? Well,
1: I find it really ironic and quite funny that. Uh, did One of the things about our testimony or our, our trial will include a, a person of Asian descent um, testifying against us that one of the truckers had mentioned what told her to go home. Now, I don't know what context he said that to. I'm hoping it wasn't in a racial way, but he'd mentioned to this lady, go home. And then we hear from Zexy Lee, the one that has the $400 million lawsuit against um, a lot of the truckers, including myself admitted to walking down on the street and, and yelling at a trucker to go the F home, uh, in, in yeah. the, more, more words than that. I'm cutting. Yeah. So it doesn't make sense, does it?
0: No, no, except if you've got a $400 million lawsuit and you want to win, <laughs> it seems to make a lot of sense. <laughs> well, I live in a little anyway. <laughs>
1: There ain't gonna be uh there ain't gonna be four hundred million dollars in this house, I guarantee you that. So <laughs> I'm not am not that I'm a truck driver for trying to love.
0: No, that's uh understood, but they seem to think that they uh they suffered quite a bit. I mean there, there was, I guess, uh some sympathy expressed for the people of Ottawa because, you know, it's not every day you get semis parking. In the middle of town, you know that's and and honking their horns. So I guess uh, you know people, but I, but one thing I did get from your testimony, and I really appreciated you talking about it, was it were the efforts that you guys went to to try to sort of keep it under control. I mean, you are of course dealing with a bunch of truckers, and even though you managed to logistically but, get there in one one piece, you know, obviously you know, you a lot of independent operators.
1: Yes. Yeah. I admit, I mentioned the fact that it was like herding cats and, uh, I still stand behind that today. Um, I want to go back to that in the inquiry too that came out that when we were on our way east, I was always under the assumption that we had staging areas to go to. Uh, two major parks, a major, major hills park and, uh, confederation park were set up with porta potties and everything else to house things. And I, under no circumstances did I ever think it would lead to guys being stuck all over the city. But I remember that day being led into town by the police, making it right in front of the Supreme Court of Canada, right on Wellington, and there was nowhere to go. It was, we were blocked. That's as far as we could make it. And then to hear the stories of the, the police actually shut the line of traffic down on Sir Gen, Sir Johnny MacDonald in, a, in the intersection of the War Mu, Museum and left them stranded. So here you've got however many miles of traffic and their main goal was to be up on Wellington to see the activities of the protest. And all of a sudden they're stuck, you know, a long ways away. So we were let in. I'll still stand behind that today. And uh, we did the best to mitigate that. I did the best to hell. There was a day when there was a counter protester down in front of Wellington there and I was going to go stand with them. I felt bad for, for, uh, you know, those trucks being off on the side. They should have never been there. And, uh, Unfortunately.
0: Yes, well, uh, you know, that was a great sin blocking Wellington. In fact, it was so uh so dreadful that they decided to keep it up long after you guys left. In fact, I think they voted last week or so to open it up again finally. So that that point has been I noticed that when people. I was out for
1: the inquiry. Yeah, when I was at the inquiry, it was blocked right off, so
0: Yeah. So I, I guess they were they were able to put up with it for a uh, a little bit after that. Yeah, <laughs> sorry, I just it was quite just a- about that. I don't want to don't want to dwell on it, but uh, <laughs> I got kind of uh, I got kind of conspiratorial when I heard that section of your testimony. I must admit, you know what they drove you downtown and then they stopped you. You know, I mean that that uh <laughs> alarm bell started to go off at that point for me i don't know how you uh how you felt uh, driving the truck you know like it uh, must have seemed like everything had gone out of control
1: it, it was uh, pretty emotional coming into town and seeing the amount of people that were lined up on the street you know welcoming you uh there was more than one occasion where where i ran into somebody downtown on wellington street that said hey i i live in another part of the city but i had to come down here and see it for myself and it's nothing like what they're portraying it is on on the on the news on the nightly news i had many people cry on my shoulder and tell me stories of uh losing a loved one in a care home you know by themselves not being able to to hold their mother or their father's hand when they took their last breath because of government restrictions i mean there was talk of, of Machino's whatever his name is, I don't even, I'm not too much of a big fan of of Marco, but having border check stops across the provinces, you know, for COVID. So some stuff there that was coming up that seemed like it disappeared, and uh, yeah, it definitely changed things. Things started to act. I get a lot of arguments on social media on a regular basis, you know. You you should have been protesting provincial mandates instead of federal for me personally, it was the federal mandates at the border that caused me to say, "I've had enough of this." I'd had enough of the pro- the provincial mandates as it was, especially when they introduced the vaccine cards and uh, wouldn't allow people into restaurants anymore. Um, man, we were good at one point of the of the pandemic for trucking freight across the country with no restaurants, bathrooms, or that. I remember when the when the pandemic first started. You know, our bathrooms were the field. We I had to get a coffee pot for the truck. We couldn't get a coffee anywhere. Everything was closed. How much more humiliating can you get being an over-the-road trucker standing in a drive through lineup at Tim Hortons or McDonald's, standing with the vehicles to get your order? Some of those places wouldn't allow you ordering at the, at the stand-up mic if you didn't have a vehicle there. And thank God we're in Canada, where good old wholesome Canadians seen the need for something. And on more than one occasion... The person in the vehicle said, hey, jump in, or hey, what can I order to you when I'm at the window? Um, that happened multiple times, and, uh, and we were out there when a lot of people were at home. We were kind of like healthcare workers, kind of like law enforcement. We had a job to do, and we did it properly, um, and then all of a sudden, we were garbage, and we weren't worthy of it anymore because we didn't get out and, and take the vaccine. I ended up taking the vaccine. I'm fully vaccinated because of the border restrictions, and I, I was mad, but I wasn't willing to let my customers down the customers that i've fought so so hard for 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 years to keep the big carriers out of you know my path i guess for my business and so i i became vaccinated to try and keep the food on the table in our household i guess
0: i'm sure you weren't the only one do you talk to people that uh took it as well and maybe regret it giving into that but i guess they did it for the same reasons you know they 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 would like to uh keep their employment you know so do you well the one the one
1: that hit really close to home yeah absolutely i do on a regular basis i hear lots of stories of vaccine injured people that come up to me and say they they got the the vaccine and and something went wrong in their system immediately after or have stories of loved ones dying Uh, my father is a perfect example a 70 year old man that uh retired and living his best life right now and him and i had many discussions You know, he's a conservative man. I've learned a lot of things from my father. And his theory was, get vaccinated. We need to get through this. And then uh, you'll be safe and we don't have to worry about anything. And he had his second shot. I don't know what it was, Pfizer, I believe. And his gallbladder quit working. And I watched my father. You know, it was a fairly big man. I'm a big guy too. Um, He wilted away quite fastly. He lost a lot of weight. And at 70 years old, you don't get that back again. It it doesn't come back like it did. So my father now has as a shuffle when he walks, and uh, I've seen him age extremely fast. They had his gallbladder taken out when they finally realized what the problem was. But I've heard that story. If you want to go down the conspiracy theory and the tinfoil hat rabbit hole stuff, did some of the, the vaccines go to the weakest organs in somebody's body and attack that? And in his case, coincidence, but it was a gallbladder. I have... Uh, a lot of people that had cancer previous to the the pandemic and were cancer-free got vaccinated and the cancers came back, you know, extremely. I know a lot of people that are suffering right now because of this. and As well as funeral directors. There's a few funeral directors across the country right now that are seeing, you know, people come across their mortuary tables with some really funny stuff happening. And, and if anybody's ever watched the Died Suddenly documentary, it, it kind of raises a lot of alarm bells. But people are scared to stand up to this day because, you know, in Saskatchewan, Saskatchewan Health Authority won't renew your license if you speak ill about what's actually going on, right?
0: Well, we do see some movement, at least in terms of questioning. I mean, to me, it's kind of sad that, you know, this hearing uh, is resulting in a report coming out in February. So in a sense you will be answering for what you did and the government will be answering for what they did regarding this emergency situation. But there's a lot of things that happened in the two years prior that haven't been answered for yet or haven't been explained yet. And uh, that I find somewhat disappointing. I mean, I'm very appreciative of the fact that it was mandated that they had a year and they couldn't drag it on much longer, but uh, there are still a lot of other issues that besides the public order emergency that, uh, that I think that need to be addressed.
1: Yeah, this fight isn't over by any stretch of the the imagination. Um, Like I said, right now, the priority for me is working our way through our legal issues, whether it be the the civil lawsuits or the criminal charges. And once we get through that, we can decide where we go after that. But Tamara and I are still committed to working together as, as the rest of the board is and moving forward in a positive manner. Uh, I've told John Carpe many times that I'm I'm here for him and whatever he needs to to move his platform forward. He was one of the the first guys that stepped up, and I'll, I'll always eternally be grateful for that. So,
0: well, I'm glad to hear it. Yes, uh, well, yeah, he actually uh, he was a little more critical at the beginning of the pandemic than I was. I was a little more credulous just because of my personal situation, and uh, we had a lot of off mic discussions. Um, but, uh, I'm happy to say that, uh, he has in the main been right and, uh, continues to be, of course, uh, we're facing, like you say, a lot of uphill battles still, uh, it's going to go on for a while. I assume, uh, do you see this going on for quite a few years still?
1: I see accountability sometime. I see the tides turning, um, public favor will then realize what's been done to us here. Um, When we start to get back to what the basics are and the troubles in this country right now, mental health has struggled in the last three years worse than any, any of this pandemic has ever been to the country. I've, you know, the amount of people that have taken their lives because they felt like they had no other way out of it, but they have to be accounted for. They have to be, people have to be accountable to what's happened there. I have letters in my possession that I received in the last 12 months. One in particular is very emotional to read, um, and I will someday then open that up to everybody, but it basically says how this lady in uh, in Canada, it felt like the government had taken control of every aspect of her life. The only thing she had control of left was in how she took her own life. And she was contemplating how she was going to take her own life, and the trucks fired up. And we gave her enough hope that she put that away. She wasn't going to do that. And uh, there's no no name on the letter, no return address. I think about this person all the time. I would really, really, really like to meet this person personally. I believe it was a female. Um, it's a story like that that resonates. Man, it hits hard. You get the chills when you think about it that, you know, something that some people did affected somebody, you know, to not do something so drastic, right?
0: Oh, yeah. There's, uh, there's a few stories I. There, like that. I think Tamara had one as well. Somebody greeted her in the street with a very similar story. So, yeah, it, I'm sure it affected a lot of people. And of course, you talk about mental health. That seems to be like one of the big issues in terms of drug use and and uh, street people right now. Uh, I see a lot of that related to the pandemic, not the pandemic, but the lockdowns that uh, had cost, lockdowns, caused caused yeah. so much despair and displacement. You know, so
1: I was one of the fortunate ones. My business wasn't affected. Other than, you know, the amenities that I was allowed to have, but driving a truck across the border and hauling equipment, I was able to keep going with what I had. So I was one of the fortunate ones, but I know a lot of people that lost their businesses. A lot of people stuck at home and they couldn't visit with their families. Um, Christmas for what, two years in a row there, you weren't allowed to have family over. Or if you did, it was just a moderate amount of people. A lot of people's lives ended, you know, from old age, not being to be with the people that they loved. That takes effect on people, regular, ordinary, everyday citizens in the government and these lockdowns. They forgot about those people, and they put the, the pandemic ahead of that. And, and as long as we did our thing, got vaccinated, wore masks, social distances, which we all did, and it never stopped the spread of COVID. To this day, COVID is still spread between vaccinated people. So explain that. And they lied to us, and it's about time somebody has an answer for why.
0: Yes, good point. I just want to conclude with a question. I don't know whether you'll be able to answer this because of your situation now, but in a way, because you're doing your, uh, well, you're defending yourself in the legal realm and that's where your concentration is. Do you see in a sense that you're kind of passing a torch on to other people at this point? And if you are, what advice would you give them based on your experience uh, in starting the convoy? Well. Wow.
1: I guess stand in your truth. Apparently, right? Um, as long as you stand in your truth and stick to that, nothing's mm-hmm. going to hurt you. I, I was at a, a church service before I flew out to Ottawa, and the sermon that night and it resonated with me was that in order for you to move past, you have to realize that you have to give everything up. And uh, I was sitting in this in the in the audience listening to it that day, and it was knowing that you have to you know in some senses you'll you'll lose everything that you've ever worked for in order to to be a a, for a greater good and once you realize that it's easier and i think that happened to me i realized that you know by the time i'm done with the lawsuit so i might be in jail this time next year you know i hope not i pray not but um it would be worth it right um without getting into trouble there with the lawyers so
0: I was hoping for a little more encouragement than saying, I'm going to end up in jail. No, <laughs> I'm kidding. No, um, <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. I can't. We hope not,
1: Kevin. We, we hope not.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: You yeah. got to remember, yeah. I've never been part of, I've never been part of, uh, Of. Uh, I've never had handcuffs on in my life. I've never been in the back of a police car. I've never been in a jail cell or, or a courtroom for that fact. I've never even had to fight a ticket for crying out loud. So,
0: yeah. Uh,
1: it's uh, yeah. it's a new world
0: 100% and no doubt you never had your cell phone confiscated and then turned over turned over to the media before i guess that uh That is news to me, and it is particularly galling to hear that. That's the, uh, I guess, the revelation that uh, I would like uh, people to remember, if any, from this podcast, the fact that this was done to you and uh, so cavalierly. But you are challenging it, so that's good to hear. And I hope that we do get updates on that, so – At this point, I guess we can probably call it in to episode six in the fourth season of Justice with John Carpe. And thanks to my guest, Chris Barber, for taking the time to give us some of his experience. Thanks a lot, Chris. And hopefully we can get you back on at some point.
1: I appreciate you having me here, Kevin. And uh, yeah, just everybody stick with it. Keep that fight strong. We'll keep things moving forward.